Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Union rail workers not giving up on their demands after saying no to the contract proposal brokered by President Biden's team. What does the union want? Over 60,000 deportation cases have reportedly been dismissed. A report says that's because the paperwork isn't being filed correctly. Shots fired as Zeldin and Hochul square off in a heated debate to determine who sits in the governor's chair. Polls show a narrowing gap as Zeldin hammers away at public safety concerns. With just two weeks left to midterm elections, we break down critical races for governor across the country. Some union rail workers who are threatening to strike say their voices are not being heard. They're unhappy with the deal President Biden's team brokered. They say it gave unfair leverage to their bosses. A long enough rail strike could bring the U.S. economy to a halt. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. A union of track maintenance workers was the first to reject a new contract proposal earlier this month. The Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way Employees Division, or BMWED, is the third largest rail worker union. After it rejected the railroad's latest proposal, BMWED proposed seven paid sick days per year as part of a new contract agreement. But the railroads turned it down, saying the workers' union had already hailed the previous deal and now is not the time to introduce new demands that rekindle the prospect of a railroad strike. But one unnamed union member told Fox Business that their demands are not new. The worker said what hurt them is that union officials accepted the deal, which he said shouldn't have been agreed to in the first place. The workers are fighting for a better way to take off sick time. The union member told Fox that they do have sick benefits, but they have to be off seven days to start claiming the benefits. That means seven days without pay. He said many workers have to use their vacation time in order to get paid for sick absences. In a job where many are away from their families over 200 days per year, that's a sacrifice. They'd rather spend that vacation time with loved ones. On the other hand, railroads say unions have agreed that short-term absences would be unpaid. Instead, workers would be paid more for the days they work and get more generous sickness benefits for longer absences. Railroads did agree to give workers a 24% pay raise. But the rail worker told Fox the pay hike still doesn't keep up with inflation. If a new deal cannot be reached, a strike could come as soon as November 19th, stopping an estimated 30% of the nation's freight. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. While the rail union makes headlines, it looks like workers at a California Amazon facility no longer want to be a part of a union. They withdrew their petition to unionize with the Amazon Labor Union late last week. The National Labor Relations Board confirmed the Moreno Valley facility's petition had been withdrawn. The move comes roughly two weeks after it was submitted and just days after the labor group failed to win enough votes to unionize an Amazon facility in upstate New York. Tens of thousands of deportation cases have reportedly been dismissed. That's because the relevant paperwork apparently isn't being filed correctly. Here are the details. A data research organization at Syracuse University tracks immigration court dockets. It reported that over 60,000 deportation cases were dismissed so far. The report says that's mostly because of a failure by Customs and Border Protection, or CBP agents, to file the notice to appear, or NTA documentation, on time. Without the filed NTA, illegal immigrants are having their cases thrown out before they step foot in a courtroom. Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse, or TRAC, is a data-gathering organization at Syracuse University. They said this kind of failure was rare until CBP agents were given authority to use the immigration court's scheduling system. According to TRAC, between 2012 and 2018, less than 1,000 cases were dismissed each year. In 2021, it was over 15,000, followed by almost 50,000 this year. CBP is required to ensure the immigration court is provided with an electronic copy of the NTA given to the illegal immigrant, which apparently often doesn't happen. Track said in a previous report that it seems like there's a serious disconnect between CBP agents entering new cases and scheduling hearings through the court's ISS system 
and other CBP personnel responsible for submitting a copy to the court. We reached out to Homeland Security and CBP for comment, but didn't hear back before broadcast. And in other immigration-related news, an illegal immigrant has pleaded guilty to attempting to murder a Border Patrol agent after crossing the U.S. border. Court filings say the immigrant attacked the agent with a knife after being apprehended and at one point took the agent's gun and pointed it at him. The immigrant reached a plea deal that would result in 60 to 108 months in prison. He's likely to be deported from the United States, according to the plea. Crime and abortion took center stage yesterday. New York Governor Kathy Hochul faced her Republican challenger, Congressman Lee Zeldin, in the campaign's only televised debate. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. You deserve better. That's the message U.S. Representative Lee Zeldin had for New Yorkers as he repeatedly steered the debate towards crime and public safety. I don't think that if your two Mexican cartel drug smugglers busted with $1.2 million worth of crystal meth, that you should just be instantly released on cashless bail. We need to make our streets safe again. Zeldin says two paths have appeared before New Yorkers. We can continue with the status quo where they believe they haven't passed enough pro-criminal laws, or we could take control of our destiny and make sure law-abiding New Yorkers are in charge of our streets again. Governor Hochul says there's more to making the streets safe than just locking people up. There is no crime-fighting plan if it doesn't include guns, illegal guns. And you refuse to talk about how we can do so much more. I mean, we lost another child and a teacher yesterday in St. Louis because people will not support what I was able to get done here in New York, and that is a ban on assault weapons for teenagers. Zeldin, though, deflected Hochul's attempt to pivot towards gun legislation. Kathy Hochul believes that the only crimes that are being committed are these crimes with guns. And you, you have people who are afraid of being pushed in front of oncoming subway cars. They're being stabbed, beaten to death on the street with hammers. There are criminals out there who need to pay the consequences for their action instead of the catch-release policies that Kathy Hochul champions. The candidates then addressed abortion access. What we have in New York State is simply a codification of Roe v. Wade. And on the Supreme Court's recent overturning of the decision? granddaughter does not have the same right that I had to make a determination in concert with myself or my doctor if it's after the six month. For his part, Zeldin criticized Hochul's push to send millions to abortion providers to expand access for a predicted surge in out-of-state patients. I've heard from uh, New Yorkers who say that they don't want their tax dollars, for example, funding abortions for people who live, you know, 1,500 miles away from here. Hochul also frequently attacked Zeldin for his ties to former President Donald Trump. Meanwhile, Zeldin argued that opposition to natural gas extraction and new pipelines in New York is hurting the state's economy. After some polls showed Hochul ahead by more than 20 percentage points as recently as this summer, Quinnipiac University showed her leading now by just four points. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Now we get some analysis on the debate between New York Governor Kathy Hochul and Congressman Lee Zeldin. Our next guest knows New York state politics inside and out, and he's got an interesting political twist. Joining us now is Dove Heikend, a former Democratic New York State Assemblyman who served in the position for 35 years. While still a Democrat, Dove says he'll be voting Republican this year due to rampant crime in New York City. Pleasure having you on the show today, Dove. Good to be with you, Kevin. And speaking of crime, this is a huge issue for New York voters right now. For his opener, Congressman Zeldin criticized policies like cashless bail and said New Yorkers feel unsafe due to soft-on-crime policies. What is your perspective on this and Governor Hochul's dismissive response? Well, it's amazing. Uh, the number one, number two, number three issue for New Yorkers is crime, crime, crime. Uh, and, and for me and many people, uh, anti-Semitism out of control numbers that we've never seen before in the history of New York. So, the, you know, the question is, you know, uh, Hochul has been governor uh, uh, for a period of time. What has she done? What are her policies? I have no clue. I don't think she has a clue. Uh, so this is the most important thing. If you can walk the streets, if you're afraid to send your kids out to play, you're afraid to get on the subway, Hochul has no clue. And I think it was very clear last night, anyone who was watching, to say, okay, let's let's hear what Hochul's plan is. What is she going to do? I mean, first of all, she hasn't done anything until now. I mean, that's clear. But what is her plan for the future? I have no. I, I'm 
I'm dumbfounded. I have no idea. And, and why she would not address that. Safety certainly is a very important issue. Now, Governor Hochul called Zeldin a climate change denier, chastised him for voting to overturn the 2020 election results, and tried to link him to former President Trump. What is your reaction to this? Look, uh, look, uh, she had a right to bring up any issues that she wants. Look, Lee Zeldin cares about the climate. Uh, it, it, it has a lot to do with how extreme you are on that issue. But again, fundamentally, the issue of crime, the issue of the economy, jobs, inflation, those are the things that matter. Uh, and there is no doubt in my mind, I mean, this is not for me personally, no one should be a Republican, Democrat or anything else in this election. Just forget about that for a little while and just think, look at the individual candidates. Who do you think is going to do a better job in terms of crime, in terms of the economy? And the polling indicates that a majority of people understand that it is the Republicans, the Republican. I know Lee Zeldin. He is not an extremist on anything. You know, you can disagree with him on the Trump part, uh, relationship and so on. But at the end of the day, who is going to save New York? There is no future if we elect a Democrat for the next four years. You can forget it. You can all move to Florida or somewhere else. Dove, I find that very interesting that you were saying people should put their party affiliation aside and vote for individuals. Now, you were there in person at the debate. Can you give us any insight into things that people watching on TV might not be able to pick up on? I was just struck by the fact that when I looked at uh, 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 Hoko, she may be a nice lady, but not for governor. She just did not give me the sense of this is a leader. This is a person with strength to deal with the radicals in the Democratic Party up in Albany. Look, I spent 36 years as a member of the New York State Assembly. Over the last four years, especially, things have changed in Albany. It is the radicals. They are a minority, but they run the show in Albany. Very good to have your analysis. Dove Hyken, former Democratic New York State Assemblyman, great speaking with you today. Great to be with you. Pleasure. The midterm elections are two weeks away, and President Biden is determined to keep the House and Senate in Democratic hands. He directed the Democratic National Committee Tuesday to immediately move $10 million to the House and Senate campaign committees, and he offered another $8 million to those groups through fundraising. The first midterm election for a president's party often results in big gains for the opposition. The president said Monday the polling is unclear, and he is expecting the midterms will be very close. A mail delivery vehicle in Georgia caught fire, possibly with absentee ballots inside. All of the mail inside the truck was destroyed in the fire. Authorities say 43 ballots might have burned. But some good news, the driver of the Jeep in Baker County, Georgia, wasn't injured. The county is in southwest Georgia, 150 miles from Atlanta. Georgia's interim deputy secretary of state says the ballots could be reissued to the voters. They will verify with a list of mail that was being delivered along the route. The Georgia Secretary of State tweeted that more than a million ballots have already been cast in Georgia's midterm elections. Fox 5 reported that 100,000 absentee ballots in Georgia were received on Tuesday alone. Under the race for Florida governor, dozens of former staffers and colleagues of gubernatorial candidate Charlie Crist have endorsed his opponent, current Governor Ron DeSantis. They say in an open letter that they've known Crist in all phases of his career in public life. Those signing on to endorsed DeSantis include a former U.S. Senator and former Chief of Staff for Crist, a former Lieutenant Governor of Florida, Crist's former Chief Counsel, and others with hefty public service experience. Crist was Florida's governor from 2007 to 2011 as a Republican. He ran unsuccessfully for the Senate as an independent, ran for governor again in 2014, that time as a Democrat, before a successful 2016 election to the U.S. House of Representatives as a Democrat. And with the November 8th elections rapidly approaching, we'll take a look at 10 key battles for governor. And today's Daniel Monahan has more. Events of the past two years have highlighted the power of governors who have played decisive roles in dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Meanwhile, new clashes over the future of abortion access have materialized. The first matchup we'll be examining is in Arizona, Katie Hobbs versus Carrie Lake. Lake is a former TV news anchor. The Trump-endorsed candidate has questioned the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines. She is focused on the economy and border control, and she's against abortion. Katie Hobbs is a social worker who has served as Secretary of State of Arizona since January 2019. 
She has focused her campaign on ensuring abortion access. Now, on to Kansas and the battle between Democrat Laura Kelly and Derek Schmidt. Governor Kelly has focused her campaign on education, health care, and the economy. Schmidt has been the Kansas Attorney General since 2011. He's defended the state's laws against same-sex marriages and opposed efforts to decriminalize marijuana. In Nevada, it's Democratic Governor Steve Sisolak versus Joe Lombardo. Governor Sisolak faces some of the nation's highest inflation rates. The tourism-reliant state was hit hard by pandemic-era closures. Trump-endorsed Clark County Sheriff Joe Lombardo has focused on kitchen table issues, including education and the expansion of school choice. In Oregon, there's a three-way battle. Democrat Tina Kotek started out as the favorite. She played a role in raising the minimum wage in her state. But independent candidate Betsy Johnson has proven to be a formidable contender who Democrats fear could act as a spoiler in the race. She is a gun rights activist who relishes being attacked by both the woke left and the radical right. She has blamed liberal Democratic policies for trash-lined streets and tent cities. Johnson's candidacy has created a path to victory for Republican Christine Drazen. Drazen opposed a COVID-19 vaccination mandate. She is also against transgender athletes participating in gender-specific events. And in Wisconsin, Democratic Governor Tony Evers takes on Republican challenger and businessman Tim Michaels. Evers has focused on abortion access, while Michaels has focused on crime and inflation. Republicans are blaming Evers for a 70% increase in homicides in Wisconsin from 2019 to 2021. And now on to Michigan and Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer versus Republican challenger Tudor Dixon. Whitmer has made her support for abortion access the centerpiece of her bid for a second term. Dixon is a conservative commentator who has proposed a measure that would ban transgender athletes from competing in gender-specific competitions, and also a measure that bans discussion of gender and sexuality issues with younger students in classrooms. Let's have a look at New Mexico. There, it's Democratic Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham against Republican television meteorologist Mark Ronchetti. Ronchetti has focused on crime and school lockdowns during the pandemic. Lujan Grisham has cast herself as someone who has tried to make tough decisions while poking fun at her opponent's lack of political experience. Next up, Pennsylvania with Democratic State Attorney General John Shapiro against Republican State Senator Doug Mastriano. A new AARP Pennsylvania poll shows Shapiro up by about nine points. Mastriano is a conservative who led a GOP challenge to the 2020 presidential results in Pennsylvania. Abortion access up to 24 weeks into a pregnancy is currently legal in Pennsylvania. Shapiro has vowed to uphold that. Georgia is represented by Republican Governor Brian Kemp versus Democratic challenger Stacey Abrams in a rematch of their showdown four years ago. Kemp drew Trump's ire in 2020 when he rebuffed his efforts to find more votes in the state. Kemp is a conservative who supported a far-reaching new elections overhaul and a six-week abortion ban that went into effect with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Abrams is attempting to draw attention to the governor's restricting of abortion and opposing Medicaid expansion. Last up, Florida, where Governor Ron DeSantis faces off against Democratic Congressman Charlie Crist. DeSantis rose to stardom for his resistance against COVID lockdowns, masks in schools, vaccine requirements, and his parental rights legislation. That bans instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity to young children in schools. Chris is a former Democrat who left the Republican Party in 2010. He vows to fight for LGBT Floridians and to repeal the new DeSantis legislation. He's an advocate of marijuana legalization. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. A watchdog group is alleging that the Department of Justice is refusing to provide details about a White House executive order. The group requested information on how the agency is enforcing an order to increase voter turnout. The executive order on promoting access to voting was signed by President Biden last year. It says that minority groups have faced discriminatory policies and that federal agencies should partner with local and state election officials to counter them. The Foundation for Government Accountability filed a lawsuit seeking information earlier this year, but it says the Justice Department has only given it a series of heavily redacted documents. The organization accuses the agency of hiding details about how it is working on behalf of Democrats. The DOJ didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. 
And Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito is calling the leak of his draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade a, quote, grave betrayal. Alito spoke during a Tuesday appearance at the Heritage Foundation. He said the leak put the lives of some of the high court's conservative justices at risk and also noted that officials have charged a man with attempting to murder Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Alito did not offer an update on the leak investigation, but his comments suggest the court has yet to find out who breached its inner sanctum. Alito's comments come as the justices have already met for the first sitting of the new term, which included significant cases on voting access and the environment. In October, the Supreme Court will take on two cases concerning whether universities and colleges can continue to take race into consideration as a factor for admissions in order to improve diversity. Authorities in Arizona arrested 16 people in connection with child sex crimes and human trafficking. Investigators posed as minors online for weeks. Phoenix police coordinated with other law enforcement for Operation Tangleweb. The investigators posted ads on websites known for shady activity. The suspects made deals with the apparent minors for sexual activities. They were arrested when they arrived at agreed meeting places. The police said operations like these reduce child exploitation and sex trafficking and can often catch a suspect before they commit crimes against a child. A Phoenix police sergeant says the families of people who commit these types of crimes are often surprised. And the federal government is pushing for electric school buses. Nearly 400 school districts across the country are getting grant money to replace traditional diesel buses. The grants will total around $1 billion. School districts in 50 states, Washington, D.C., tribal administrations, and U.S. territories are all partaking in the grant money. Vice President Kamala Harris and the Environmental Protection Agency plan to announce the awards in Seattle today. Last year, of the nation's 480,000 school buses, only 1% were electric. If all applications for electric bus funds were granted, the total cost would be nearly $4 billion. The Environmental Protection Agency initially planned to give away $500 million for electric buses, but they raised that amount to almost $1 billion last month. An additional $1 billion will be set to be awarded in the new fiscal year. 95% of the award money will go towards electric school buses. The others will go towards buses running on compressed natural gas or propane. And a man is facing attempted murder charges for an attack at a New York City subway platform. Police arrested Lamal McRae Monday, and hours later, he made his first court appearance. They say he has a long criminal history with 20 prior arrests. Investigators say McRae pushed another subway rider onto the tracks in Queens last week. Good Samaritans rushed to help and pulled the rider to safety. The rider still suffered cuts and bruises and a broken collarbone and a sprained shoulder. McRae is due back in court November 14th. Be cautious before you make your next breakfast. Bob Evans Farms is recalling more than 7,500 pounds of its Italian pork sausage. Officials say the sausage might be contaminated with pieces of blue rubber. The affected products are one-pound containers of Bob Evans Italian sausage with a use-by date of November 26th. There are no reports of illnesses related to this recall, according to the USDA. Consumers are advised to return sausage to the place of purchase or throw it out. More information is available on the USDA's website. And coming up, U.S. lawmakers have denounced a Chinese Communist Party police station set up in New York City, but a local Chinese association denies its existence. A Ukrainian lawmaker visits Taiwan and thanks the island for support amidst the war with Russia. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. The Chinese Communist Party goes to great lengths to repatriate Chinese nationals who it considers criminals, and among them, maybe even dissidents. The CCP may even be operating out of New York City. Here's the story. According to Chinese media, between April 2021 and July 2022, more than 230,000 overseas nationals from different countries were forcibly returned to China. In recent years, the Chinese Communist Party has set up dozens of so-called police service stations in more than 20 countries. One of them is located right in the heart of New York City. It's inside the headquarters of the American Tangla Association. One reporter from NTD's Chinese language channel visited the building, carrying a hidden camera. 
Staff inside the association denied the police station's existence. Earlier this month, a group of lawmakers wrote to U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland and Secretary of State Antony Blinken. In the letter, they stated, there should be no room for the CCP to exercise law enforcement on U.S. soil. Over in Australia, another Chinese police service station has operated in Sydney for nearly four years. Chinese media have called it part of Beijing's Belt and Road Infrastructure Program. The initiative is known to help spread the CCP's influence across the globe. A former U.S. military pilot and flight instructor, Daniel Duggan, has been arrested in Australia. It's still unknown what he is accused of as court documents are sealed, but it might have to do with his work in China. Duggan was a major in the U.S. Marine Corps. He ran a flight company in Australia and then an aviation consulting firm in China. According to the BBC, the U.K. Ministry of Defense has issued an intelligence alert warning that as many as 30 former British pilots were recruited by the Chinese Communist regime to train its own troops. Beijing's effort is seen as an attempt to learn how Western forces operate. Australian Defense Minister Richard Marles said he's launched an investigation into the BBC's allegations. A Ukrainian lawmaker is visiting Taiwan for the first time in 15 years. The nation also sent a thank you note to the island for its support of Ukraine during the Russian invasion. Here are the details. Ukrainian politician Kira Rudik visited Taiwan on Tuesday. She and a Lithuanian politician met with local legislators on the island. There, Rudik thanked Taiwan for its help during Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I'm so thankful for Taiwan's support. We know your support. We hear it, we see it, we feel it. She stressed that Ukraine would prevail, adding Ukrainian troops have been recovering territories occupied by Russia. Taiwan has strongly condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The Ukrainian conflict has focused new attention on if or when China might attack Taiwan. But the reappointment of China's communist leader Xi Jinping on Saturday has raised new tensions across the Taiwan Strait. The same day, Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen met with the six-member delegation from Germany. They discussed the threats Taiwan faces from its communist neighbor, China. The German delegation told a news conference on Tuesday that China's imperialism has to be stopped quickly. There is a danger that China will continue to annex other places if they succeed in annexing Taiwan. Hyde said China is showing imperialist ambitions similar to those of Europe during its 19th century colonial period. The visit comes after China's ruling Communist Party wrote its rejection of Taiwanese independence into its charter on Saturday. The CCP claims Taiwan is its own territory despite never ruling the island. And it has ramped up military and political pressure against the island in recent years. Taipei strongly rejects Taiwan's sovereignty claims and vows to defend its freedom and democracy. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, servicemen from the Ukrainian National Guard prepare for winter on the front lines. They're hunkering down in trenches and stocking up on firewood. And Russia's mobilization order is hurting business. People are fleeing the country or fighting in the army, creating a strain locally. More shortly, here on NTD News Today. Servicemen from the Ukrainian National Guard prepared for winter on the front lines in the Kharkiv region on Monday. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on their efforts. Lieutenant Colonel Yuri Savistin said city officials organized a program to install modular trenches. After the war broke out, Kharkiv city authorities came up with an initiative of producing modular trenches and installing them on the Kharkiv front lines. It is still too early to say how well they fit their purpose, but what we can say now is that the construction dug deep into the earth serves our needs. Servicemen chopped wood and prepared the logs for a wood-burning stove inside the trenches. The temperature there was 77 degrees on Monday. Our preparations for winter are going well, everything as planned. We are gathering as part of a centralized process. We are gathering wood for fuel. Families are bracing for a harsh winter after Russian missiles and drones rained on cities across Ukraine earlier this month. 
the bombardment hit power plants and electricity stations, damaging around 30% of the country's energy infrastructure. There is already ground frost at nighttime. People on guard outside are already freezing. It is cold, but we dress warm, and in here it is warm. We heat the stove in the evening, and it keeps warm till the morning. It is comfortable. The government is urging citizens to stock up on warm clothes, candles, flashlights, and batteries. Authorities are also asking people to limit their use of high-energy appliances like ovens, washing machines, and kettles during peak consumption times. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Hundreds of thousands of men have joined the army or fled Russia over the last month. This mobilization has had an effect on the workforce and business as usual in the country. One group in Moscow has been hit especially hard. Here's that story. Faced with a sharp drop in clients since Russia began mobilizing men to fight against Ukraine, Moscow barbers like Kiro Kuryakov's citizen barbershop are battling to survive. Once they announced mobilization, we personally lost 30% of clients for sure. And my friends, barbers who are working in other barbershops, heads and owners of businesses, all noticed a strong drop in clients, which is only getting worse. Kuryakov added that one of his staff members was taken away to the front line, further impacting the business. And other barbers say they are having to expand their skill set to cut women's hair instead. Hundreds of thousands of men have been summoned to join the army or have fled the country. The central bank last week said mobilization was posing new challenges, especially for small and medium-sized enterprises. It flagged risks linked to a shrinking workforce, as well as consumer and business confidence. And experts say the mobilization has aggravated an existing brain drain from Russia. Maria Shagina, a research fellow at the IISS think tank, said before businesses fought for state funding and subsidies. Now they are fighting for the workforce. The Kremlin has announced some financial support for those mobilized. Enlisted servicemen are entitled to payment holidays on loans. Authorities have also sought to give entrepreneurs more time to transfer control of their businesses should they be called up to the army. But Kuryakov said their businesses had received no help. Italy's new prime minister, Giorgia Maloney, has vowed to steer the country through some of its toughest times since World War II. In her first speech to Parliament on Tuesday, she also promised support for Ukraine, NATO and the European Union. Here's Maloney. Giving in to Putin's blackmail on energy would not solve the problem. It would exacerbate it by opening the way to further demands and blackmail with future energy increases, even greater than those we have seen in recent months. Maloney said Italy would continue to support Western sanctions against Russia, regardless of a squeeze on gas imports from Moscow. In her speech, Maloney also said her government would offer financial support for families and firms hit by the energy crisis, adding that the economy could sink into a recession in 2023. She warned that the high cost of that support meant her administration might have to delay some of its more costly election promises. They run, climb, swing, and jump in an effort to reduce energy use. Parkour athletes in Paris are on what they call lights-off operations to extinguish shop signs and window displays. These parkour athletes scale Paris shop fronts to switch off the lights in a bid to combat energy waste. The young athletes dub their nighttime excavades as lights-off operations. They make use of kill switches regularly placed on the outside of buildings to let emergency services cut off power in the event of a fire. The group says their actions help enforce orders by Paris City Hall that shops extinguish all signs and window displays in the middle of the night. Their actions have caught the public's imagination at a time when the government is urging residents to cut power consumption ahead of a winter energy crisis across Europe. In a quiet Romanian village, most houses are heated with wood, but residents still worry about their power bills, even though they use the least electricity per capita in the European Union. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Georgetta Ecom is a 67-year-old retiree and widow. She lives alone in a sparsely lit house with wood logs stacked neatly by her door. She mostly uses one room in her house, which saves on heating. In the other room where my husband lived, there is one lamp, and I only keep this lamp lit. The European Union is asking countries to save on energy. 
The aim is to trim costs and avoid shortages for the upcoming winter. But many people in Romanian villages have little room to cut back. The animal feed is expensive, the corn and the wheat. I have no land, I buy the feed. What can we do? We carry on, as they say. More than 40% of Romania's 19 million people live in the countryside. Many rely on agriculture or seasonal jobs abroad or commute into cities. Eurostat data shows Romanians had the lowest power consumption per capita in the EU in 2020. The energy bill hasn't changed. It's like before because I don't consume energy. Romanians who use more power than her are still trying to cope with rising power prices, and all are dealing with double-digit inflation and soaring food costs. The government has compensated power suppliers for the difference since November 2021. Parts of the scheme help encourage people to consume less, while institutions are also making cuts. The Romanian parliament has reduced outdoor lighting to two hours per night. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Britain has postponed the announcement of a plan to repair the country's public finances to November 17th. They want to ensure the plan reflects the most accurate possible economic forecasts. Our number one priority is economic stability and restoring confidence that the United Kingdom is a country that pays its way. And for that reason, the medium-term fiscal plan is extremely important. And I want to confirm that it will demonstrate debt falling uh, over the medium term, which is very important for people to understand. The postponement briefly raised British borrowing costs in financial markets. However, there was no repeat of the panic bond selling caused by Liz Truss's September tax cutting plan. Prime Minister Sunak takes on an economy facing recession at a time when the Bank of England is raising interest rates to tame double-digit inflation. Low growth and rising borrowing costs have worsened the strain on already stretched public finances. The government is drawing up spending cuts and canceling tax cuts. All this while the rising costs of mortgages, food, fuel and heating is squeezing many household budgets to their limit. And still to come, a new Spanish law requires bars and restaurants to provide free doggy bags in a bid to fight food waste. And for some cancer patients, losing hair during chemotherapy is one of the toughest parts. But one innovative survivor is sharing the method that saved her hair. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Australia's largest health insurer announced today that a cyber hack compromised the data of its nearly 4 million customers. Medibank Private warned of a 16 to $22 million hit to first-half earnings. It said great amounts of personal and health claims data was compromised in the breach reported this month. This is just a day after it warned that the number of customers affected would grow. Shares in the company fell more than 14%, its biggest one-day slide since listing in 2014. Medibank, which covers around one-sixth of Australians, said the estimated cost did not include regulatory expenses. For some cancer patients, it's disheartening to lose hair during chemotherapy, but one survivor pioneered a method to preserve her hair, and now she's sharing it with others. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details. Doctors diagnosed Paula Estrada with breast cancer in 2009. She decided she would not only beat the disease, but would do so without losing her long blonde hair to chemotherapy. At her home in Buenos Aires, Estrada created a makeshift helmet out of ice packs to ward off hair loss. Her device worked. My oncologist told me, but you had a chemotherapy. But I was happy when I finished cancer treatment. I get emotional about this part. I told him, I can't keep the helmet just for me. I want everyone to have the chance to not lose their hair, just as I had. Over a decade later, versions of Estrada's helmets have helped some 60,000 cancer patients in Argentina, Chile, Mexico, Spain, and the U.S. Gonzalo Ricondo is Estrada's oncologist. According to him, there's clear evidence that these helmets can prevent hair loss. He says the key is vasoconstriction, or narrowing the blood vessels in the scalp. The helmet's efficacy is based on the cold temperature that produces vasoconstriction. 
Vasoconstriction lowers the amount of drug that gets to the hair follicle, and that helps to preserve it. If the hair follicle doesn't die, the hair won't fall out. The helmets must be used from the first chemo session. They need to be at negative four degrees and changed every 30 minutes as they heat up. Other cancer patients say the helmet helps them cope. You have to put it in the freezer two days in advance. I know that getting the helmet, which is gel ice packs bundled together, takes some logistics, but it's worth it because it makes you fight the illness differently. I think the helmet was the key to keeping my mood up. I don't feel anything with it on. I get out of chemotherapy, take the helmet off, and live my life like any other person. Estrada is now a motivational speaker and is writing a book about her experience pioneering the helmet. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Spanish lawmakers are confronting the country's food waste problem head-on. A new law will soon require bars and restaurants to provide free doggy bags to dispose of uneaten food. Diners at bars and restaurants in Spain will soon receive free doggy bags to take home their uneaten food. That's under a draft legislation set to take effect in 2023. According to a director of the Association of Manufacturers and Distributors, the core of the problem is measuring waste and loss. Measuring is very important because we believe that what is not measured cannot be improved. Therefore, the first thing is to design this plan to analyze what critical points we have in our production systems, transport, packaging, etc., to detect possible risk areas and then implement corrective measures. Every year, more than 1,500 tons of food is wasted in Spain. That's the equivalent of 46 pounds per person, worth some $250. But some restaurants have long taken their own measures against waste. If there's a surplus and it's in good condition, we serve during the evenings or nights as an appetizer with beers, wines, and soft drinks. And then we always have the possibility of offering doggy bags to our customers when they have too much food left over. But we've been doing this for a long time. Others are doing their best to cook just enough food. Extra, if any, is left for the homeless. We usually cook what clients are going to consume, and we don't have big storage systems either. So we pretty much consume what we have bought. We are very tight because of inflation. We try to have quite reasonable expenses, so we don't have much food left over. The draft law also makes provisions for stores and supermarkets. They must reduce the price of products as their best before date approaches. Neighborhood organizations and food banks should also have agreements with them for donations of those products. Once food passes its best before date, the law recommends it be used for animal consumption or in the industrial production of fertilizers and biofuel. But some critics say prevention should always come before food donations. Prevention of food loss and waste must be the number one priority. The priority should not be to donate surpluses, which is what we can read now from this law, what this law wants to implement. Another focus is on how to effectively use the surplus and shift the responsibility away from food manufacturers. No matter how well we do things, since there will always be a product that remains as a surplus, we have to do something useful with that surplus. The first thing, and that is what the law tries to do, is to establish collaborative agreements with food banks, with charities, to donate all the products fit for human consumption, must be used for human consumption. Restaurants and supermarkets that fail to comply with the law may face fines of up to $60,000. Penalties for repeat offenders can even top $500,000. Just ahead, Sotheby's New York is presenting a Baroque masterpiece, a jewel in its collections of old master paintings. We'll take a look here on NTD News Today. Sotheby's New York is showing off some of its greatest collections of old master paintings leading up to its Master's Week auction in 2023. It's just a wonderful, wonderful, powerful image. It's the kind of thing, interestingly, when I started 30 years ago, um, you know, people 
found a little bit surprising. It's, it's a tough, in-your-face image. Nowadays, you know, people who collect contemporary art, people who collect you know, modern art would react to a picture like this. And this certainly has been in a collection previously uh, where that was the case. The star of the show is a Baroque masterpiece by Sir Peter Paul Rubens, Salome, presented with some of the severed head of St. John the Baptist. The auction house says there was a time when a painting with a severed head was a harder sell, but today the subject is bringing buyers who aren't usually old master collectors. The Rubens painting is expected to fetch more than $25 million. The sale next year will also include works by famous Italian painters. As our Western diet taken us as far as it can, we seem to be suffering all sorts of physical disorders. Can turning to the wisdom of the ancients reverse this trend? Here's Gina Marie who brings us strong mind and body. A centuries-old traditional diet benefits tens of thousands of people in the area where they live. The people here increase longevity, improve life quality, and even reduce the risk of cancer. This is the Mediterranean diet. Most of the foods in this diet have cancer-fighting properties. Cancer cells make surrounding tissues form angiogenic factors. They hijack the blood system to support these cancer cells. Foods in the Mediterranean diet contain natural angiogenic agents. The diet is characterized by liberal use of virgin olive oil, vegetables, fruits, legumes, nuts, and fish. It has low intake of red meat, dairy, and red wine. Let's investigate it further. Virgin olive oil is prized for its antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and anti-cancer properties. Flavonoids, carotenoids, and vitamin E also join the cancer-fighting team. Vegetables, fruits, and red wine are rich in polyphenols, which are anti-cancer. Cold water fish are rich in lipids and omega-3 fatty acids. These are found in sardines, tuna, mackerel, and anchovies. Tomatoes are widely used throughout the Mediterranean countries and are rich in vitamin C, potassium, folic acid, carotenoids, and lycopene. These properties have amply demonstrated cardiovascular and anti-cancer effects. Coffee is consumed boiled and unfiltered. It's rich in kawiol, polyphenols, and antioxidants. Herbs are synonymous with the Mediterranean diet. Dry oregano is high in polyphenols. Rosemary contains canoso, which assists with anti-cancer prevention. Large families and neighbors gather around tables laden with the area's bounty in the shade of old trees. Socializing like this promotes positive attitudes plus mental and physical well-being. This is just another plus of the Mediterranean diet. A Delaware hobby gardener was scratching his head because all the produce in his garden kept mysteriously disappearing. He discovered later that a little creature was to blame, but instead of trying to drive it away, he found a way to befriend it. Take a look at their unusual friendship. Jeff Permar from Middletown, Delaware loves to grow an organic vegetable garden each year to share with his friends and family. Around three and a half years ago, he started to see the fruits of his labor disappearing. Permar set up a motion detection camera and discovered that the culprit was a groundhog. Several attempts to stop the thief were unsuccessful. Eventually, he just began putting out food for them. But then, as time went on, he was so cute in the camera. He was so cute and um, just, he was awesome. and. and just looked like he was just living his best life, so he eventually um, won my heart over, you know. He named the little creature Chunk. Soon Chunk would bring his girlfriend Nibbles to the garden too. To save on cost, Permar came up with the idea of building his tiny friends their own garden, which the groundhogs seemed to love. Since then, Chunk has become an online sensation. Yeah, so at first, um, when I had caught the groundhog initially and got the very first video of Chunk popping up in the camera, um, all of my friends uh, that, that saw it were like, wow, this is so funny, this is so cool, you should start posting this. And, um, and I just did, so I just started posting. And the reaction was great, like the fans were 
were loving it. They were, uh, it was, it was making them have like a better day if they were having a bad day. His first video, being caught in the act of chomping a cucumber, went viral on Facebook a few years ago and has attracted nearly a million fans. The experience has taught Permar the importance of coexisting with wildlife. You know, I, I'm probably going to do this forever. <laughs> Jeff, who was also a guitarist, came up with a song about Chunk. He says that for his next endeavor, he would like to write a children's book. Today is National Pumpkin Day. The iconic pumpkin is a fall favorite at the center of holiday decorations, recipes, festivals, and more. Taking over everything from coffee, hello pumpkin spice lattes, to baked goods like cakes and cookies, and even unlikely favorites like pasta and oatmeal. They're good for you too. Pumpkins are packed with nutrients, which could help boost your immune system and fight off nasty colds. Some veterinarians say they can treat ailments in your pets as well. The squash is native to North America. The earliest found pumpkin-related seeds were in Mexico between 7,000 and 5,500 B.C. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.